Download the SportDeck app today for live scores, stats, the latest news and betting. You can find us on the App Store or by going to sportdeck.com. I'm delighted to be joined by a former Queen's Park and Dumbarton footballer who went on to play for over seven different clubs in England and now finds himself stateside doing the business for the Tampa Bay Rowdies. He's been described as strong and robust with good positional and organisational skills, similar to the great Tony Adams. Neil Collins, it's great to chat to you here on Sport Deck. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. It's a pleasure to speak to you. I guess beginning with your career, it really kicked off at Queen's Park. You were part of John McCormack's Spiders side. What was it like for you as a young player coming through the ranks in Scotland at that time? I know we do hear of different stories of the progression and at different times, but for you and from your experience coming up there at Queen's Park, what was it like? I was a somewhat a late developer at 14, 15 I was um, I was very skinny, uh, pretty raw, not not as strong. Um, hadn't really developed into my body yet. So Queens Park was a great opportunity for me to play, you know, at a good level and uh, not not anywhere near the Scottish Premier League, but a good level and improve. And um, I actually got into their first team at 17, and probably similar to the boys that played in the League of Ireland, you know, playing against the experienced men. Um, so it was fantastic playing under an experienced manager who taught me so much and he gave me a hard time, you know, a lot of times. Uh, I made mistakes, but, you know, that's where you learn a lot. And I went through a really steep learning curve um, as a young centre-back playing playing at that level so young, but it stood me in really good stead. So it was fantastic, you know, playing, along, playing alongside, you know, experienced professionals. While they might not have played at the top of the game, they still um, were still very good players at the level that they played at so I learned a lot from them. You talk about the strength and the fact that you were quite skinny when you began your career and how important was strength there in Scotland at the time because you do hear stories of players coming up the ranks in England and and Ireland as well and the fact that there's so much emphasis put on physical abilities and you know you get picked for your physical ability in that but from your experience you know was that an obstacle for you? Yeah, massively. I mean, I think um, as I was growing up, 14, 15, I think I was a good footballer. I had, you know, good technique. I could pass it. Um, I could read the game well. But certainly, I probably got left by the wayside slightly because I wasn't as big and as strong as some early developers. Um, so, yeah, certainly something that the good coaches and good managers are able to, to overlook and see how someone's going to develop when they're much older. But in, in some ways, it was the making of me because it really gave me an opportunity of playing against men who are probably, instead of being in an academy, which some lads are, where they're playing what you'd maybe describe as fake football against lads the same age, I was actually given a, a much steeper learning curve playing against men that were stronger, were more physical. And you learn the, the nuances of the game, you know, how to, to cope with these you know these players, um, and that stood me in really good stead when I went down to England. While I was playing in better players, the physicality side of the thing was was much, you know, much more similar to yeah. what I'd been involved in in Scotland, which was a huge help. Because I always wonder, in terms of development of players, Neil, that there's that danger of throwing the young players in too quickly and as you said to maybe stay in Scotland for an extra season it probably did you the world of good in the sense that it prepared you for the step up as you said 
Yeah, so I, I had three years in Scotland, two two at Dumbarton and one at Queen's Park, playing playing over 100 games in what you would describe as first-team football, men's football. And by the time I went to Sunderland, um, I felt that that stood me in much better stead than maybe for someone that was 18 trying to step into someone's first yeah. team. Uh, that experience was like was huge. And to some extent, I probably went, went past players who had been in academy football for, for that length of time um, and maybe then tried to push in the first team too early. There's, there's no right or wrong way to do it, but certainly for me, that, that seemed to be the best path. Yeah, I, I remember a story Seamus Coleman of Everton told before of the his decision to stay that extra season at Sligo Rovers and how it really prepared prepared him to, you know, make that big step up when he did get signed by Everton that time. So there is a lot of there's a lot of examples out there. Just a, a final point on Queens Park and you know looking at the club now and you see down a, a, down the divisions and you know their home stadium Hamden Park Glasgow it's a, a perfect everything seems to be in place but how difficult do you think it is for a club like Queen's Park Neil to progress I mean a lot of people will say they're forever going to be living in the shadows of Celtic and Rangers where, where Queen's Park are so unique David um, and where they're a fantastic club for any young player is that their kind of mantra is to get in these young lads. Their youth academy is fantastic, and they're all about producing young players, getting them in the first team, always having a young, a young team supplemented by experienced professionals, and then letting these lads go on and and hopefully have successful careers. They're the, they're the only amateur club that plays in the football league in Scotland, so they don't pay their players. They're there um, as I can. They're the oldest football club in Britain. I'm pretty sure. Um, and they're really just there as an institution, almost. So they're they're more than happy with where they where they are in the Scottish game. And um, yeah, that's really definitely what they're all about. It's about producing young players um, and, and attracting some of the kind of players that maybe don't go to the Rangers or Celtics, but giving them a platform to then go on and have a career. So they they are they are like, not like some of these clubs, Dave, that are trying to break into maybe you know the higher echelons of the game. They're they're more than happy with where they are. And where they're situated, and and um, as I say, it's a fantastic club, well run. Um, so I can't speak highly enough about Queens Park as a club. I, I've got a major soft spot for them. Yeah, it's probably a, a method that a, a lot of clubs could probably do. I mean, I I do wonder. There seems to be so many clubs in Scotland these days, Neil. That you know, the primary focus is survival and see what they can do. Uh, whereas, as you see, the likes of Queens Park and some of the others now are, are starting to turn to youth. And I suppose with the dominance of Premier League football in England it could be something that a lot of teams in Scotland could look to, you know, the emphasis probably should be on youth because it is probably some way that they can compete on that level. 100%. I think some Scottish clubs really need to get an identity about themselves in terms of what they want to achieve. Um, you've, you've hit the nail on the head. I think they, they end up with a mixed match. You know, they try and throw a few youngsters in, but then the fear factor comes in that they don't want to get relegated. They maybe want to try and win a trophy. And I suspect that the most success would come if they had a clear plan and a clear strategy about you know, what they wanted to achieve and, and probably looking along the youth side of things would be would be the way to go um, and try and help the, the national team longer term. But the problem is with that is everyone's got their own agenda yeah. in Scottish football and instead of trying to, to get together and make the, the nation's game better, 
there's too many people with self-interest in their own clubs and that makes it very difficult and that's probably worldwide that's not just maybe in Scotland No it definitely is I mean a lot of people a lot of clubs all over the world they don't think about the good of the game in their country or the development of say football in Scotland they're thinking about what's going to happen how are we going to tick over until next year you know and that it's very hard to get away from that. For yourself, uh, you signed for Sunderland for Mick McCarthy in 2004. For that move, what was it like when you initially joined them? Obviously, it wasn't too far away from where you were originally based, but what was it like, your initial impressions at Sunderland, and how big was the step up at that stage in your career? I mean, it was it was huge. I mean, absolutely huge. I'd come out of university. I'd been in university for three years playing part-time football. Now, I'd been on various trials because I'd, I'd, I'd caught the eye of a lot of clubs I'd been at Charlton I'd been at Rangers but none of them I'd, I felt really gave us a fair chance in that respect as I felt they took me in as a token gesture to look at me but Mick McCarthy was probably the first manager that really I felt looked at what I could do in the football park and gave me a fair trial and um, when when he agreed to sign me she said it was a huge step up I had to pinch myself couldn't believe it. Um, and not only that, I think within three weeks of being there, he included me in the first team squad and I made my debut at Reading within a month. Um, so it was a whirlwind experience. And I sometimes look back and wonder how I kind of managed it. But at that age, you're just um, so innocent and just so eager to impress and to do well. You don't really take a step back and, and think what you're doing to go from university to playing in the championship. So, yeah, it was fantastic. But it was helped by the number of young players we had at the time. Yeah. Um, you know, we had so many people of similar, like Stephen Elliott, Dean Whitehead, Danny Collins, Liam Lawrence, I can name a lot of players. They were all in a relatively similar boat, not quite coming out of university, but certainly coming from smaller clubs or, or from youth youth academies into Sunderland's first team. And, and so, what was that like, actually? You know, the fact that there was so many young players, I, I'd imagine you could relate to quite a few of them, and that must have made the transition a lot easier. Oh, it was. We had we had such a great team spirit because of that. We had we had maybe eight or nine really young lads that spent a lot of time with each other um, outside the football. And the fact that the team was successful was definitely down to the fact that we had good, experienced professionals in the team as well. People like Gary Breen, uh, Marcus Stewart, Jeff Whitley, the Thomas Meyer, the goalkeeper. These people were were the kind of basis that gave us young lads a, a platform to kind of go on and and um, make careers but the, the, the team spirit and camaraderie was fantastic at that time it was one of the most enjoyable seasons of my career Stephen Elliott who works with us here in Sport Deck he told us a story of when you first came in and I don't know how true it is but he, he said that you weren't afraid to you know voice your opinion and really show a lot of the senior pros there that you were on the scene and that uh, how true is that and do, how important is it do you think at that stage uh, at the start of your career to have that confidence? No, He's, he's absolutely spot on and I sometimes look back and almost cringe at how brazen, brazen I was but I think it was in some respects it was one of my biggest strengths and I think that's one of the reasons Mick McCarthy liked me and the fact that I didn't take any prisoners and it's just the way I was and I think there was times I probably overstepped the mark especially with some of the senior professionals who who obviously deserved a lot of respect and I did give them respect particularly off the pitch but there was definitely times when the red mist fell and I would I would let people know what I thought um, but yeah, I, I do look now and I think I see a lot of young lads coming into 
the first teams and, and they, they've got a lot to say for themselves off the pitch but on the pitch they're you know they don't they don't get stuck in and I, I've got a lot of time for young lads that come in and they put themselves about mm. and they've got an aggression to their game because I think um, that's kind of almost been missing in a lot of players that come through now so no, it's, it's something that Stephen's like spot on about it. He's he's got me nailed there. I can't I can't complain about that. But again, I think um, as I say, it's, it's it's a side of the game that I've always had, and something in my personality. I've tried to I've tried to curb it at times, but it's sometimes tough. Because I'm thinking there's a lot of young players out there, Neil, and they're coming into these clubs, and again, you know, they don't show their personality, and a lot of the managers are going to kind of forget about them, and they can, you know, kind of fade away. And as you said, it, it translates to on the pitch as well when there's a player that you know he's got a good technical ability, but there's just something more that you need in the game. You need him to take it by the scruff of the neck, maybe shout at somebody or that. How important is that, you know, for, you know, a lot players that are in that make or break stage of their career yeah I think that's a great point and I think it's whether it's shouting at someone scoring a goal it's recognising an opportunity um, good young players that want to make a name for themselves they recognise an opportunity whether it be a training with the first team a reserve game coming off the bench for the first team you've got to recognise when it's really important that you do the business and I think that's what players that go into careers are always good at doing recognising when they really need to produce the goods. Um, maybe the first team striker's not at a great game at the weekend and then knowing that if you do well in training that week, you've got a chance to the first team. So many young players, they just go with the flow, uh, turn up for training, go through the motions. And I think that's one thing I've always been able to do is know when I really need to be on it, catch the eye. And um, whatever it is that catches the eye, whether it be winning, winning headers or holding the ball up as a striker, it's just recognising that and, and, and having your niche um, in your position to get in the team. And yeah, I think that's certainly something that I don't know how you get that into players, but they've certainly got to have someone guiding them and recognising when they really need to step up. When Roy Keane came into Sunderland, I think you had you were leaving, and I think you, you followed Mick McCarthy to Wolves. Was that out of you know fondness for getting to work with Mick again, or was it a case that maybe uh, it didn't really work out when Roy came in because his approach was very different? It's 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 very strange. Um, Roy Roy Keane was fantastic, like fantastic with me in a lot of ways, and. Um, Obviously, a lot of people in Ireland know Roy Keane and there are plenty of stories about him, but he could make you feel a million dollars. Um, and he certainly did with me on a number of occasions. He, he played me at right back, which I'd never played before. So he showed a lot of confidence in me in that respect. But I just, um, probably because I was young and Mick McCarthy wanted me, I felt the, the safety blanket. I wanted to play centre-back and I wanted to play regularly. And I think anyone that played under Roy Keane at the time would admit he was a young manager he was finding his way, and for all his strengths, he still had he still had um, weaknesses in terms of he could be quite rash. If I'd been an experienced player, I would have stayed 100%. Now look back, I would have stayed, and I would have seen how it developed. But at the time, I was just eager to go somewhere where I knew what to expect and um, to try and play regularly. Um, Roy made a lot of changes, you know, until maybe later in the season when he got a settled team. But it was purely my decision Roy Keane asked me to stay um, but he was but he was obviously open to you know letting me leave if I wanted to go and I was I was it ended up being probably the right decision for myself but 
I do sometimes wonder if I'd been a bit more experienced, I would have stayed and be able to handle kind of the the ups and downs with Roy. But I've got nothing really but good words to say about him. He was he was fantastic with me. Yeah, and I was I was actually reading because when you reunited with Mick McCarthy at Wolves and and Roy had loaned you out, I read before that the uh, the discussions of the loan deal between Roy and Mick was the first time the two had spoken since the big incident that happened in Saipan in two thousand and two. Uh, and maybe you are playing up. You're the man who brought the two back together. <laughs> Yeah, you know what's mad for me is growing up I was a huge huge Roy Keane fan I'm a big Manchester United fan and I used to have Keane in all the back of my strips so Mick McCarthy wasn't my favourite person um, but then when I signed for Sunderland and worked with him I realised what a, what an honest and, and good person he was so it was so strange for me to be involved in that even if it was only a small part um, for them to kind of speak again I suppose was a big thing after what they'd been through so yeah it was strange and it was certainly kind of interesting around the training ground at that time because the word got out quite quickly that they'd spoken so it was um, it was definitely interesting yeah I remember the media blew that whole thing up and when <laughs> the two of them finally faced off against each other uh, Sunderland against Wolves there was a big handshake between them and you know both Roy and Mick were making the point after the game that well actually we've we've met uh, a couple of weeks back and we've put that all uh, to bed yeah. now and you know they were kind of tr- they were playing it playing it down but it, it's an interesting side point that you know you might have been the the first point of contact between the two of yeah. them which is kind of a nice thing to to have as well uh, just a point on Mick Neil what was it like working with Mick McCarthy for for a good few years I mean what did you find that was um, so special about him as a manager I think um He's very, he's very upfront um, and, and, and honest. He's, um, he's, a, he's a man's man. I like people that tell it straight. There was definitely times when I played for him, he maybe left me out. I wasn't happy, and I voiced my opinion to him. And he would, he would always say, "Look, you respect once you work with other managers how I tell you like it is." And he was, he was spot on. And I probably um, always really enjoyed playing under him, but I probably realised just how good he was when I when I left and started playing under a lot of other managers. You know, Mick had his teams very organised, um, worked very hard, and his, his record in the championship speaks for itself. So, I would I would like to have played even longer for Mick because I felt I uh, enjoyed the benefit of his coaching and everything he taught me later in my career. Um, and I think I was a better player later in my career. So, I would probably even like to have played for him more then um, when I was more consistent centre back. But Nothing, nothing but good words to say about him. Yeah, he. It's it's strange the way he was one of the few managers that could endear the, himself to the fans. I I think I remember watching a match before when he was manager at Wolves, as far as I know, and they were getting well beaten. I think they were losing six 0 and all the fans stood up and were singing Super Mick McCarthy, and it was just it was remarkable to see, you know, just that support for a manager which we don't tend to see too much these days. Uh, looking at your time I guess at Sheffield United would would you say up to now that's been probably one of the most memorable points I I, I think you had all, over 200 almost 200 caps with uh, or 200 appearances with them and yeah you, you formed a formidable partnership with Harry Maguire yeah you know I, I played over 200 games at Sheffield United and developed a great affinity with the club and with the fans it's a fantastic club um, played some of my best football there it was just 
I could I could go on for a couple of hours about why we never quite achieved what we should have in terms of the promotions. Some of it bad luck, some of it, you know, bad management from the from the top down, and then some of it just players not being quite good enough. But yeah, it was it was fantastic time, and and playing beside Harry was certainly probably the best partnership I've enjoyed in my career. He's he's a top top player who is going to go on to to play for one of the big clubs, I'm sure. Yeah, how do you, you must be very happy seeing him finally get his chance at playing in top flight and, and really standing out and, and showing that, you know, proving a lot of people right, it's probably fair to say, Neil. Yeah, he's he's someone that anyone that knows me and spoke spoke to me, I've, I've been championing him for a long time. I couldn't believe that a bigger club than Hull didn't take him um, when he was leaving Sheffield United because for an 18-year-old to go and play 150 games and play as consistently as he did and played in big games, played in FA Cup semi-finals, I was very surprised, but he's went on now and he's he's, he's proven people right, as you said. And I don't think it'll be long before um, some of the big boys come calling because he really has got so many attributes. So it's so it's great to see. It really is. When I was preparing for this uh, interview, Neil, I was looking through the various clubs that you played for, and you know you spent time on loan, and and you were at so many different clubs, and I was yeah. looking at how you know you you were a part of teams that experienced you know promotion defeats, promotion playoff defeats, a bit of relegation and stuff. What has been, um, how, how difficult is it to kind of go through that a, a multiple of times? And is there any particular painful, I know you can say they were all painful, the fact we didn't get promoted, but what as a footballer is uh, the most bitter pill to swallow that you've experienced? The one that lives with me, I think about it constantly, I wouldn't say every day, but it certainly comes to my mind is, um, we finished one season with 90 points and we finished third in the league. Um, everyone remembers Chad Evans with three games to go. Unfortunately, went to jail. Um, and we ended up you know, getting pipped for second place. And then we went into the playoffs. And in the playoff final, we went to penalties with Huddersfield Town. And um, they missed their first two penalties. Um, I scored our second to put us 1-0 up. And then they missed their third penalty. So they'd, they'd missed three penalties, the first three penalties. And... We were just about to go and I remember standing at Wembley thinking we're going to win, we're going to get promoted and we conceded to to miss our next two penalties and end up getting beaten when our goalkeeper missed the 11th penalty. Wow. And I'll just, I'll just never forget that experience that, you know, that was probably the most sickening moment of my career because we'd played so well all season. We'd scored, I think, the second most goals in any team in Europe. We'd, we'd had a fantastic season and just... To, to be beaten like that at Wembley in the end was just devastating um, and I constantly think back if we just scored one of those penalties we'd be back we'd have been back in the championship but it wasn't to be yeah it's uh, certainly a painful one and I guess it, you know it speaks to more character for those that can you know pick themselves up and go again you know because yeah. I think in situations like that Neil there's always a danger that you're going to get like a, a mass exodus from a club a lot of players won't want to you know don the jersey and, and go again and you know for, for those that were able to you know pick up and, and say right well okay it didn't happen but you know to get that hunger back is I suppose it's a challenge not just for the players but the entire management and backroom backroom team I'd imagine yeah c- coming back the following season after a defeat like that can be tough and actually we came back the following season and went unbeaten to November which shows a testament to the the kind of people at the club um, as you say because it is very hard um, it, it, you know the good players it does make you more hungry to, to try and you know wrong 
sorry, right or wrong. Yeah. Um, but we just couldn't ever quite go over the line. The following year, we could beat in the semi-final of the playoffs because um, we just couldn't score enough goals, funny enough. But yeah, that's that's football and that's a, that's about being a professional. Is there's far more downs than there is ups. Um, you speak to any professional player, even at the top, there's so many more disappointments. So if you if you let them weigh you down, you won't last very long in sport. Absolutely. I don't think many people will disagree with you there. I have to ask, as we've seen soccer in the USA has really taken off in recent years, and we do see a lot of players, top players as well, going over to try their hand in the MLS and even the, the, the league below the NASL. Yeah. For yourself, how did the move to Tampa Bay Rowdies come about? Was America kind of on your bucket list or was it just an opportunity that kind of fell into place? No, America America was certainly on my bucket list and I've been coming here on holiday for the past 20, 25 years, specifically to Florida. And my family always said they'd like it and I certainly wanted I wanted a change. I've been, I've been played in England for 12 years and probably going to leave Sheffield United. I wanted to experience something else. So the move came around and just everything fell into place. That's the thing in football. Sometimes it's just the right place at the right time. Um, and I, I managed to get out here and, and sign for Tampa Bay Rowdies. Um, and it's, it's been great. It's been an eye-opener um, how different things are um, in terms of the travelling. You know, you, you're flying flying thousands of miles to play games and it would be and almost, almost like almost like I'm thinking it's almost like for a club having to play a Champions League match every week almost yep. yeah that's that's a that's a very good example it's every every away game is like a long flight and you can imagine if you play a Saturday and a Tuesday it's it's a number of flights um, and we all know how we feel when we come off a flight it's, it's not it's not a fantastic feeling so um that's certainly the hardest thing but there's so many, uh, so many positives about the football here, and it's, the game's growing massively. And um, you only need to, to live here to see the amount of young players that are out kicking a ball around and on pitches that you didn't really see now in the in the UK. Uh, certainly, when I grew up, we used to go out and play football, but it's a common thing now where you just don't see that happening. But but here, it's very common. So that that means to me that the game's only going one way. And the clubs themselves, you know, one thing that a lot of players uh, from the UK that have gone over to the MLS and, and to play football in America, they've mentioned about the, the facilities and how serious these clubs are taking them. And I mean, your club are in the, 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 the league just below the MLS. They, I mean, I, how serious were they when you arrived? I mean, is it something they really want to, you know, push up? They're they're putting a huge huge bid in right now to get into the MLS. Their um, our club's so well run, and yeah, I mean they've signed myself, they've signed someone like Joe Cole, um, they've signed a Danish international. So they're really making a push to try and get it on the park right, and then off the park they're they're talking about adding to the stadium that we've got, which is already a really nice stadium. So the, our club is really making a big push, and they're hoping to find out this year if they'll get granted MLS. Status and to be honest, everything's looking very positive because where we're based is is just like you know fantastic for right. a for a football team to be based. Yeah, you've got the infrastructures in place as well. You know, it's all there, ready to go. Just take that yeah. next step. And just quickly, from a I guess from a personal point of view, yes, you mentioned you you travel to you have been traveling to the to America on holidays a lot. But from a football perspective, all those years ago when you were coming down to play in Sunderland, did the did America ever seem like a viable football option? Because I know back then there probably wasn't too many people talking about it as there were as there are today. 
No, you know, probably wasn't on the radar as such. Certainly coming to live in America at some point in my life was, but maybe playing football wasn't. I think um, at that age, though, I was just delighted to be at Sunderland. I was probably just thinking about where my next game would be for Sunderland. Yeah. Um, and over the years, things have obviously progressed. But certainly something in the last three or four years has definitely came on the radar. I think, I think David Beckham making the move started, raised everyone's eyebrows and raised, raised the profile and if David Beckham could go to play when he was still, you know, in a top player, then why couldn't why couldn't I? So it it certainly um, raised the profile for everybody, and um, I'm delighted with the decision I've made. You know, there's definitely parts of English football that I miss, but more than more than delighted with my decision. It's been a, it's been a great experience. I'm looking forward to the next season already. And there, there is a perception out there, Neil, that you know, f- football in America is for something. You know, it's for a lot of say older European players to come over. But there has been a few cases of young lads now. We're starting to see it. It's slowly happening. I know they've got a young lad, a young English guy at New York City, Dom Dwyer, who'd been, I think, was playing for Sporting Kansas City. They've got a couple of young guys that are that maybe were at that stage that you were at similarly in Scotland, but things didn't quite go their way in Britain in football. Would you agree that now America could be a viable option for them, particularly if they go into the... I know the college's system is, is pretty strong. Yeah, de- it's definitely a viable option. And the, these players are, are definitely starting to look at that uh, more readily than they were, maybe were five years ago because they, they're seeing the success stories that you've mentioned. So players are starting to see a pathway into that league that's probably going to develop into one of the top five or six in the world. Um, I think the MLS is constantly progressing the fact that it's showing around the world now yeah um, it says a lot so it's definitely a viable option and college soccer is very good I would say where they they're starting to build things now is they're starting to introduce academies which is which is definitely much better because one thing I've noticed here is some kids are coming out of college at maybe 22 23 which in our in relative terms that's quite old for a football player to be making the professional debuts at you know, because there's a lot of learning to be done between 18 and 22, I think, that they're missing out on. So hopefully the academy system will, will become in place at more and more clubs and these, these players will be able to experience playing against senior professionals, even if it's just in training, much younger. Um, so, you know, that's that's one area they're definitely looking at improving. But no, I would recommend it to any young player wanting, wanting to come out and try something new. It's... There's so many positives going for it. Yeah, certainly onwards and upwards. There's definitely uh, a, a big future there. And just really, before I let you go, Neil, uh, looking at your career, the fact you've been around so many different clubs, so much experience there of the way football is and different types of football, playing under unbelievable managers as well. Do you ever think about the international scene and you know feel a bit you know that you never got to really get a good run with Scotland and you know the it does do you ever think about that when you're kind of looking back on things? Yeah, it's probably it's probably one of my biggest regrets. Um, I don't like to have too many regrets because I'm very fortunate to have had the career I've had. It's more so when I see some of the players that did gain caps while I was playing at the top of the championship. Um, there's players that, you know, gained one or two caps that, you know, haven't quite hit the career I've yeah. had. So that's certainly a disappointment. But, you know, that's the way football goes. It's it's just one man's opinion at the time, one manager's opinion. 
Um, I would love to have had a couple of caps, but what it just you know just wasn't meant to be. And I've, I've experienced like you know winning league titles and promotions, so you can't have everything. Yeah, um, well, you've, I, th- I, I think can you've probably got yeah, you've probably gotten the most you can probably out of football at this stage, and and may that continue very very finely. Plans for the future, Neil? I know you seem to be settled now with your with your family in the states. Um, would, do you see coaching as a possible option for you going forward, or do you have any? Have you even been thinking that far ahead? Oh yeah, I've I've always had a real keen interest in the, in coaching and management. Uh, I've actually done my B and my A license um, by the time I was thirty one, so I've got that in place, and it's certainly something that I'm I'm looking to do um, when it, when the time comes to retire. But you know, at what level and at what standard and where in what country, that's not decided yet. Because I think. Um, even just look at my career, things can change so quickly. You can sign a five-year deal at one club and be leaving within six months. So the same will be the same, you know, apply to coaching and management. If an opportunity arises, I'll take it on its merits. But um, I think I think the way the game is going out here, I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities and hopefully I'll be able to put my experience um, to good use and, and start learning on that side of the game. Certainly there seems to be an explosion about to happen in, in, in soccer in America and it, it, it's it's really exciting stuff so I wish you the very best of luck with that. Neil Collins will be keeping an eye on how things are going uh, at the Tampa Bay Rowdies. We'll be keeping an eye on your career. It's been a fascinating chat to you. Thanks a million for joining us on Sport Deck. Thanks very much. I really appreciate the time. Thank you. Download the Sportdeck app today for live scores, stats, the latest news in betting. You can find us on the App Store or by going to sportdeck.com.